hey, welcome to our New Year's Eve service. Uh, we're super, super excited that you're actually here with us. Uh, um, it's, a, it's a new year, right? So new year means what new, what new you, right? And so this is a, a picture of a, a Times Square back in 1903, I believe. So you see the crowds right there. And this is, a, this is one rendition of the Time Ball. Uh, this is actually 1975, and you can see as now it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot better and bigger and, and what's not too. But for this year, what is it for you? Is it a new year, new you? Uh, you know, did you know that Americans have about 40% of Americans make new year resolutions? 40%. Now, out of that 40%, only 8% actually follow through with the resolution, okay? But for you, for today, have you thought about your Resolution this year. What is it? Is it a new venture? Is it a, a new goal? Is it a new um, plan? Most of you here, have you thought about for this coming year, how about um, like renewing your prayer life? For you, how about you have you thought about actually praying for this coming year? You know, prayer, um, what you're doing about prayer is that prayer is one of the most um, personal ways we can actually approach God. As a matter of fact, prayer is one of the most intimate ways that you can actually approach it. And prayer is simple. Prayer is simply that you come before God and have a conversation. Now, these prayers, right, if this is the most intimate way you can actually pray with God, then where does it come from? So what is it and why is it? Now, Jewish prayer started uh, by three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening. And when they would come, they would pray to God and they would pray freely. And they would pray freely in the synagogues, in different places. Now, prayer was so much instilled in Jewish tradition was that shops were actually closed down around shops, around prayer time. So when you try to go out for lunch or dinner or actually morning, places would be actually closed. Now, here's the cool thing. Christians later on adopted these Jewish prayers because they were so actually um, habitual. And it was actually going to the Father. And so they kept up with it. Now, here's the thing. Now, culture didn't conform to Christianity because... A lot of Christians there were then, they weren't Jews, right? They were Gentiles. So as Gentiles, right, what happened with Gentiles is that they would have to develop prayer time in a more personal way, in a more family way. So all this prayer was leading up to now where we're at right now. So from 100 to the Middle Ages, prayer was done much more in churches. Places like we're here, we're seeing right here. Churches or cathedrals, and you name it. Now Martin Luther, and this is his, uh, before 2018, this is his 500 years of Reformation. And Martin Luther said that, you know, if we wanted to pray to God, why can't we just go directly to him? And that's what he did. He said, we need to pray to God directly if this is who we're going to come for. That's what happens. So the churches started becoming less prayerful and people started becoming less to the church because they wanted to pray more so that it, uh, evidence now is more today that we have more a devotional time, we have a personal time and a prayer time. Right? Now, for some of you, for prayer, if this is the most intimate way we come before God and it's as simple as talking to God, why is it that we don't do it? Why is it that we lack it, actually? And more importantly, why, does even prayer even actually work? You see, prayer does work. And in Scripture, the word is very clear and it says that prayer works because it's evident by what's, uh, by what's shown and given. But to me personally, prayer definitely works because I've seen it happen. I've definitely seen it. Now, for you, for prayer, where are you at right now in your prayer life? You know, Tim Keller said it best. He says that prayer 
come best when you immerse yourself in the scriptures. When you immerse yourself in the scriptures. And the best way I put that is that it's like cooking, right? Sometimes you cook best when you have the, the cookbook open and the recipes right in front of you and begin to actually cook better. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to go into the word and we're going to kind of discover what does it mean to pray? And why is prayer so important? And for this new year, how can you go into prayer? So do me a favor. We're going to go into scripture. And so turn to me to Matthew uh, 6, 5 to 15. Um, if you don't know, my name is An. I'm on staff here. And this coming year, there's just, been, just so many different changes, right? And changes into um, our ministry here, myself, my roles. And for you here, right, what are some changes that you're actually going through right now? And, you know, when I think about prayer, I can't help but this is probably the best verse to actually touch on. Because this is the in and all of all prayers. And this prayer right here uh, speaks volumes. And it says this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, Jesus here um, is teaching his disciples how to pray. And this is an amazing lesson what prayer is. And more importantly too, um, this lesson here is every time in the Bible there is something happening, somebody or some ones are always coming to prayer. Now, before they start something. Now, sometimes they come to prayer later on when it's not going very well. But can you imagine Jesus praying? Can you imagine Jesus teaching us how to pray? Can you even just imagine Jesus praying in general? To me, that is an image and a fathom that I, I can't even imagine. But will you go with me today in prayer as we uh, go into the word a little deeper? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning because uh, you're an amazing God. I mean, you give us words that um, remind us, Father, Lord, of um, why your son is the Messiah, why your son came on earth, to care for the weak, to heal, to give grace and mercy. Let's come before you now, Father, may we just really exalt you because you're an amazing God. As we go into this new year, this new me, may we reflect what it means to maybe have a new life in praying with you. Amen. You know, one of the things about prayer is, where are you right now in prayer? So I'm talking to you as parents. Many of you are singles. Uh, some of you that are in college or high school or middle school or your children or your, some of our beloved seniors or your young adult here. Where are you in prayer right now? You know, matter of fact, well, not only where are you in prayer right now, but do you even remember the last time you prayed? And the last time you prayed, well, do you remember what even you prayed for? So right now, if you have your children with you or your significant other or partner next to you, turn to someone right now and tell them what did you pray for last. And it could be like your meal, it could be something last night, or for some of you it could be, it's been a long time since you prayed, right? And just tell them what was like the last remnants of what you remember what prayer was. Go ahead. So go ahead and talk to a neighbor next to you.
I'm pretty sure you have some uh, interesting answers about what you prayed for or what you're praying for. Maybe some of it is like, hey, I, we just, this morning we just prayed for a meal, right? Uh, for some of you, hey, we, we had this crazy party we're going to uh, for family and friends. So we're just praying that everyone just gets along with each other. And for some of you here, you're praying because you're going through some angst right now in your relationship with Jesus. Uh, maybe you're suffering some, uh, some depression. Maybe you're suffering um, a loss of someone. For some of you here, maybe it's, you're just excited for this year because you're done with your old self and, and you really want to get right with Jesus. For some of you here, you know what, I don't even know God, but I just pray in general because it just feels good. For some of you here, the last time you prayed, you don't remember because it's been a long time. It's been a really, really long time. You know, before we get into the word, right, you know, it really matters um, on who we're praying to. Because if we don't understand who we're praying to, then our prayers are just empty words, right? It's nice and how we say it, how we speak it, right? You see, because look, it matters who you are praying to. And today, we want to go dive a little deeper about what does it mean by prayer, but more importantly, what is it, who, does it, who are we praying to? You know, if you don't know who you're praying to, right, this discipline of this aspect of being spiritual with God, uh, it's not neglected because you're not even doing it. You know who you're praying to. You know, prayerlessness is actually real because if prayerlessness is real is that if we don't find time to spend with our maker and actually pray to him, then our walks with Christ as believers, right, it's, it's nothing. You know, my prayer journey growing up has been very interesting. Um, I found different new ways of praying. Um, I remember, um, why do I have to pray with my eyes closed? So I would pray with my eyes open during service and um, when I'm walking around. I remembered um, praying for people right away. When someone asked for a prayer request, I'd tell them right then and there, hey, I'm praying for you right now. They're like, no, really? You're praying right now? Yes, I'm praying for you right now. I just prayed for you. Because if I don't, right, I say God blesses them. And they say, hey, thank you for praying for me. And I didn't pray for them. I was like, yeah, you're welcome. It's like this awkward weirdness, right? Long drives, I, I would drive my sister to slow or uh, my, my commute sometimes. And I would just pray in the car. Or turn on Caleb or any kind of Christian radio station. And I would just pray for different people, different things. I remember uh, when, uh, when I was a young here, he couldn't talk, so we did text prayer. So I literally text out each line I would pray for them. But one of the more radical ways of prayer was actually a very simple form. I was giving a recommendation for a good friend of mine who's, who's pastoring in South Carolina. And the guy asked me, he said, how can I pray for you, Juan? I said, well, I told him my request. And thinking that normal prayer would be that he'll just, you know, I'll finally hear from him again. He said, you know what? I just wrote down your prayer request. I put it in a jar. And what my family does is that every single prayer request that we have, we take, we write it down, we fold it up, and we put it in a jar. And before we leave somewhere, go on a trip, or I leave, or my, my wife, my children leave, we take one note out of there, and we, we're committed to praying for it. And I sat there a couple years ago, I was like, that is the coolest family tradition of prayer I've ever heard. But it didn't really stump my heart to actually you know, to jump in to do it. I thought it was just really cool. That was it. You know, as we go into Matthew 6, um, 9, 13, um, we're going to dive into what is Jesus teaching his disciples to pray and how to pray. 
But more importantly, we got to go not what happens during the scripture, but we got to happen with what comes before it and what's after it because it affects the scripture so much. And it says this. So what happens before? So turn with me to Matthew 6, 5 um, through 8. And it says this right here. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they receive the reward in full. But when you go and pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be, keep on babbling like pagans. For do not think what they are being heard because of the many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Now, the reason why we want to get into the text of before and after, even the main scripture, is because a big part of us going to the scripture is that are we properly understanding what the word is saying? And there's a fancy word in seminary I was learning called, uh, are you doing good exegesis? Meaning, are you actually understanding who the author is, who is he speaking to, the time, what, when, and where? And all this sounds like, that's a lot of work on but you know what, I look, I look out in this crowd here, and I look at you, and I said, you, all of you here have some really intense careers and passions that takes work. Mine happens to be the word, and I enjoy being in seminary. But did you know that for some of you here, a simple search text on commentaries or a book, or even just simply going on Google, will give you a better understanding of the text. You see, prayer back then, right, during medieval times, that they had people that were committed to prayer, like the nuns and the monks and different people, like priests and pastors, that would pray all day. But what they recognized is that it's not an amount of time you stayed in prayer, it's actually what you pray for, who you're praying to, and the meaning of it. And the text here is rich because we have an understanding of what the meaning is. And in this context right here, what Jesus was saying is very interesting. Now, in chapter 6, Pastor Andrew covered this a while ago, and this 6 is actually interesting because it covers feeding the needy, Prayer, fasting, heaven, and the last section says not to worry. That's an amazing subset of topics within a chapter. And here, what's going on right now is that Jesus recognizes that, more importantly, that when you go into the Word and actually understand what it's saying, that it gives value. A couple weeks ago, some of our youth went to TJ to Tijuana uh, for their missions trip. Some of them multiple times. And our crew here, our crew is our, 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 um, our leaders that work with our youth here. And I had a really interesting conversation with some of the youth. And they said, you know, if, if our faith is real and we believe in Jesus, how do we continue to reaffirm our faith? And some of our crew leaders said, you got to read the Bible. And the youth were like, ah, I knew it. we got to read the Bible. And this conversation led on to more conversations. And you know what they're, they're doing now? They're actually having a text conversation of reading scripture together with the crew leader, texting back and forth what they don't understand. And the crew leaders are exegeting, telling them, uh, let me find out how and why. And they're going back and forth. And that's amazing to hear. If your faith is really firm, you know the word. And some of our youth here were complaining about we're going to be faithful. Elias said, you've got to read the word. They, they, they cringed. But you know what's crazy? They cringed and they did it because they know that their faith is worth this much. Now, what is going on right here? Now, this is interesting because this is what Jesus was doing. He says, look, 
the word prayer here shows up five times. And it's not a coincidence that the next five verses talks about prayer for the Lord's Prayer. And this is just the Bible, how, how, it, how it's written, all right? This is what Jesus is saying. This is insane. Now, what was going on this time was that Jesus did not like hypocrites. Right before this, he says, look, if you're going to feed people, don't do it proudly and boasting. And here, he models that in prayer too. Now, what's going on right here is that Jesus is saying, look, so if you're going to pray, right, don't pray like the pagans do. He's not comparing you to the pagans. He's comparing people to disciples saying, look, if you're going to pray, there's two kinds of prayer. There's a pagan prayer and there is a Christian prayer. He says, if you're going to pray, pray that has, where it has meaning. He's not shunning the pagans, right? But he's saying, is that if you're going to pray to God, right, make sure that you're praying words that actually have meaning. and There's merit to it. What's even more crazy is that we're going to go before God, right? How are you going to approach him? Is it fancy words in public and out there? Or is it meaningful words that are true and behind closed doors? What Jesus was doing was giving gradations. Gradations were stages of variables of what can be on different levels. And this certain gradation was a prayer of Christian prayer and a prayer of pagan prayer. The best way to break it down is more is, let's do this. It was business prayer and family prayer. Now, most of you here work, right? When you work every two weeks or every month, right? What happens after you work after two weeks, what do you expect? You expect a paycheck. Yeah? Yes? So no one here gets a paycheck. Yes? After a couple weeks, yes? All right. So most of you here get paychecks. Great. Now, in families, right, if a family is running a business, right, say it's for your mom or your dad or your aunt or your brother. Uh, for example, my brother has a cookie shop in San Mateo, okay? Shameless plug, okay? Um, if I work for him in two weeks, most of you may say, I should get a paycheck. But let's say I'm working for him because he's sick. He's not doing so well. Or I want to volunteer because I'm going to trade. I'm doing it because I want to be with him. I want to do it with him. I actually want to love him. I want to care for him. God is teaching his disciples right now through Jesus, saying, look, if you're going to come to me prayer, is it a business transaction or is it a family transaction? Are you going to come to God because you expect something from him because you do all of this, right? My walk church, your life, your family, all this is in order. And you come to God and say, now give me this because you owe me. Or do you come to God and say, God, I've done all this. But you know what, though? I know you're the Father. I know you're amazing. And whatever you give me is totally fine because I still trust you and your family. Jesus was more concerned about their motives. He wasn't concerned about how and why and their language and length and position of prayer. He cared about the meaning of prayer. Jesus wanted his disciples not to be hypocrites. Jesus wanted his disciples to have another sea, not just Christ. He wanted his disciples to have character. And when you have character, it's hard to really value character because sometimes it's really hard because you really, really desire things that are not character, right? That's why the word character is even hard to even say, right? So this happens before. Now, we're going to talk about before, and now we're talking about after. Like, why are we talking about after? Well, aren't you supposed to talk about after, after you talk about the Lord's Prayer? And here's why I want to talk about after, because I want this, this passage to, to, to resonate with you right now. And go with you to uh, verses 14 and 15. It says this. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, the key word is but, if you do not forgive others 
their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, I don't know about you, but this verse in the Lord's Prayer and this context had no, had no prayer word in it at all. It's none. The Lord's Prayer here reveals the power of the gospel. The gospel is that you are forgiven because he forgave you. And do you take that on to forgive others? Now, here's the thing. If you don't forgive others, right? Jesus is saying is that God's not going to forgive you. His Father's not going to forgive you. Now, I don't know about you. If you're not upset about this, you need to be. Because, you see, this text is not coming from me or Christian Lehman Church or it's in Oakland or some denomination. This is coming from Jesus. If you're not willing to forgive someone in your life right now, you know of, or and or of other things too, God's not going to forgive you. That's really deep. I think of all the times that I have family and friends and people that I know that I have maybe a grudge or a transgression with or my past. But for you here, is it really hard to forgive someone? Or maybe in this room right now, I'm be very honest with you, right? Are there things right now that you're not willing to forgive anybody right now? Because you just can't. Their deed, what they've done, what you've seen, what you've heard, it's unforgivable. It's unforgivable. You know, we'll talk more about that. I understand why. But if you have a problem with this text right here, um, you know, you could write, you could email, you could text, you can actually pray to God right now, right? Especially to, to Jesus saying, why did you write this? And give me a better understanding. Now, the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is this, is that the Lord's Prayer is that it's Jesus and disciples learning how to pray. Jesus recognized that his disciples knew how to pray because most of them were Jewish, right? Now, some that weren't Jewish knew the, the, the cultural way of praying. Like I said, prayer back then was very routine. Three times a day, they were sent to God, so it was very common to see prayer. Now, but Jesus knew that his ministry was going to come to an end, right? So there's a start and there's a beginning. And so his approach to his disciples was simple as this, is that he wanted to give his disciples access to God because when Jesus was teaching them, he wanted to find different angles to show his disciples that you could access the same Father that I call Father. And so it's him, the disciples, and God right now. They're in this little transaction, and his disciples are getting access to God the way that Jesus does. And this is very, very different. You see, because Jewish prayer and prayer back then, you recognize that it was what you prayed and how you prayed. But right here and right now, what Jesus was showing is that it's not what Jesus was praying or who or what God is. It's what they are already that brings revelance to why you come to prayer and why you are praying. And for these disciples to recognize that that's you have access to this two beings that changes the game of prayer. You see, Jesus was crafty because he was changing the ways the disciples were able to see, to seek, to seek their, and, and to actually say their prayers. Now, in this prayer for the, the, um, the Lord's Prayer, there are six requests. Right? There's three for God, for his kingdom priorities. There's three for his kingdom uh, practices for us. You see, can you imagine having Jesus right now in your life if he was not, quote-unquote, in your life as God the Father, but him as a friend in your life right now? 
Imagine Jesus as one of your coworkers. Can you imagine your boss, like, why can't you be like Jesus at work, right? Imagine in school, right? In school, like, why can't you study like Jesus? Or why can't you be like a good teammate like Jesus on your own sports team, right? Or better yet, can you imagine if Jesus was asking your sibling and your mom and dad telling you, why can't you be like Jesus? Why can't you pray like Jesus? Why can't you have faith like Jesus? Like, can you imagine Jesus just looking up and go, not showboating, not, not boasting, right? But Jesus taking you as a coworker, as a friend, as a sibling, as a brother, and go, hey, let's talk about it. You want to walk with me? Something you want to share? Can we pray? I think Jesus is doing this right now to his disciples right now, especially in the Lord's Prayer. He's coming to these 12 guys and saying, look, let me show you how to pray. And this is not Jesus sparring the moment by teaching them, but to his disciples says, Jesus, can you show us how to pray? Because these disciples recognize the way that Jesus prays is very different from that time of how others prayed. It's very, very different. It turns me right now to um, the Lord's Prayer. Verse 9, it says this, it says, Then this, this is how you should pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will. Sorry, for, only in verse 9. Verse 9 is, it's very interesting. The word Abba here that he's using the word Father, it was commonly used very much in Jewish times too. They recognize that Abba means Father, means that somebody that's actually very close. But the way that God, Jesus was using it was that he addresses God as God the Father. And if you look in the scriptures, all on the scriptures, Jesus never, never, never says God without saying the Father. He's always recognizing the Father first because he recognized that it's a relationship with him that's very intimate. So he's saying God the Father every time. Other people would say God, God this, God that. Matter of fact, how many of us here, do we actually call God the Father? We say no, God. We say Jesus, right? But there was much reverence in the way that Jesus was saying this. And it was even more crazy because scholars even said that during the time that when the word was being written, that even people, that the name God was so holy, they wouldn't even use the word God. They would use a different term. And when they come to it, they would pause, they would stop, and not even say the word God. Now, when you know the Father, and the reason why you know the Father is that our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, it brings glory because not because this text shows glory to God, but God is already glorified in general already. And we're acting on his behalf. What Jesus is saying is that when you come before the Father, disciples, you're acting upon on behalf of God to actually pray. So like you must know that this word, hallowed be your name, is that when we come before God, that his name is holy. He is holy. This is the whole purpose of the gospel. This is why you're here. And the big reason why you're here is because you understand the magnitude of the gospel that God sent his son, and he's the one. The, the only way I could, I could show you the best example of God the Father is, I'm going to call my daughter. Karis, Karis Bellatron, can you come up? We're going to talk a little bit about uh, a father. And so... Hey, Karis. Can you say here? Hey, church, can you say hi to Karis? Can you pray close? Can you say hi to you? You want to say hi? 
<laughs> hey, Carrie, so how do you know I'm your father? You married mommy and mommy, mommy gave birth to me. Oh, that's right. So I married mom, which is Ichan, and, and mom just had you and gave birth to you, right? So what would you say is our, so um, who is your heavenly father? Jesus God. That's right. So what does Jesus and God do for you? For what? Forgive you of what? Sins. Your sins, right? Now, for you and I, so what kind of interaction do we have as father and daughter? What are some things that we do together? Love each other. True. Now, every morning we, we, we do something together. What is it that we do every morning together? Wake up. <laughs> yes. We wake up. That's true. We wake up. Mom's at, she's off to work. I'm getting you dressed. And then we're in the car. And then what do we usually do every morning? Pray. So what do we pray about usually? School. And so what, are some, so what are some of your prayer requests in the car when we pray together? Things. Like what kind of things? Jesus. One of your friends who doesn't know Jesus to get to know Jesus. Okay, what else? Have a good day at school. Have a day at school. And most of the time we pray about having a good day at school, right? And then in the car, I always pray for you to have a bad day at school, right? And then you stop me, right? And then you correct me and go, and we pray for a good day at school, right? What are some things about um, our relationship that you see that is really special between a father and daughter? Huh? What are some things that are really special between you and I that we do? Love each other. Yeah. Karis, can you say bye, church, and I'll see you later? Bye-bye. <laughs> hey, church, can you give a hand for the Lord for what Karis shared? I think what Karis shared was, was true, right? One of the most special things about a father relationship between your children is that there's love. It's, it's not a secret. And God here loves you. And the secret for you is that he didn't want it to be a secret. He wanted to know that you to know that that's how special it is. And for some of you who don't have children, but you are a son or you are, are a daughter to a parent or parents, begin to understand that love. It's really, really deep. It's really, really deep. Now, verse 10 says this. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The whole purpose of the gospel of Matthew is that it's to show that Jesus is king. Three of the gospels, other than this, have a different uh, focus. But all four gospels have the same truth that is pointing to Jesus. But more importantly, too, it's all encapsulized together to make sense of why the gospel is real. You see, a kingship comes because the father is king first. That Jesus can't be the king, can't be the Messiah, unless there's a king before him, which is his father. We ask about sovereignty. We ask about different kingdoms. You know, on earth right here, we're in this kingdom of the world, right? Where some of us have our own kingdoms. We rule our own things. Satan has his own kingdom. A certain range that he kind of Overseas. In heaven, it belongs all to God. So here right now, what Jesus is saying is that what kind of kingdom are you belonging to? If you want to put yourself under God's kingdom, then there is a king, which is Jesus. If there is things that Jesus wants you to do, are you going to listen? Or are you going to be a rebel and be this hipster that says, you know what? I don't want that. I'm going to do my own thing. Maybe for some of you, you set up your own subsets of kingdoms because that's how you feel at what you want to do or what you want to be. Because you're not in God's kingdom. You're not in heaven. Because heaven to you is such a far, 
far years away or it's, yeah, I can't even think about it. But we're in God's sovereignty. Your kingdom come, right? Are you in God's kingdom? And if you're in God's kingdom, are you willing to submit to God's will for you to live a certain way, to be a certain way? You see, from what the majority of us here, right, we're not ready for Jesus to come back because we're not living like it. Because we're living under a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of bubble that really oversees us. And not to say that what you're going through and your passion and desires or your careers or school, what you want to do, or have you want to be with is wrong. The question is that, is that your only kingdom? Because when that, those things crumble in your workplace and who you are and where you want to be, if those things crumble, is that, is that it? Is that your kingdom? But are you ready for a bigger kingdom to come? And I'm sure these disciples were like, what do you mean by your kingdom come and you will be done? I don't understand it right now. Verse 11, it says, it says, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. When was the last time you asked for food here? Not after service when we have snacks. And, um, you know, I've been polling a lot of our college students here. And number, probably number one or number two was, number one is, uh, is our church has an amazing way to be welcome people. And number two is always we have amazing snacks, right? And, and, and their top choice of snack is chicken nuggets. I, I have, it's, it's, it's as if like chicken nuggets are not at the store. They can't go buy it and put it in the oven and then have it for themselves. It's something about having it here at church, someone serving you on a platter with ketchup and college kids pushing away little children to, to get them. <laughs> that makes it a big difference here, right? But I, I don't think many of us here ask um, for food from God because we don't really go hungry. You see, we're here, Jesus talked about the term bread means all physical needs. The, see, the disciples back then were living day by day. And if you weren't a disciple, you were working. And your, ways, uh, your wages of a day's wages is really important because if you miss work, you didn't get paid. And when you did work, you get paid for what you worked, so that's how you bought food for your family, and so on and so on. So back then, if you miss work because you were sick, not only were you out of food, you got out of food for yourself and for your family, and you're missing work. See, God gave them exactly what they needed. Actually, God gives us exactly what we need. But why is that as people, right? Sometimes, right, we get really greedy, right? We complain when we don't get as much. Or when we get too much, right, we don't tell anybody, right? We store it away and we keep it a secret. You know, God gives us all these things that we need because he simply desires us to give us this amazing love. But at the same time, God reserves this really special button called, I'm about to give you everything you desire and you pray for. Because you yourself could be the demise of yourself. You could be the end of yourself. How should we destroy yourself? You know, a couple, a couple weeks ago, um, we're, we're growing different ministries in, in our church here. And um, there's a, a person I've been praying about to see where can they take our church to understand needs. What are some physical needs that our church can give and bless? And one thought in my head has always been about a social justice piece in our church that's that's not really there. And when I met with this person, we had just a, a really candid conversation about what can our church do 
to provide physical needs for others. That maybe it's local, it's abroad, or far. And this couple of conversation was amazing because this person is deeply passionate about having this piece of component in our church. So some of these needs, are there race tensions? Is it the sex trafficking market right now? Is it local canneries here from food banks? Is it the conversation between how can other churches support one another from what they have to resources to give? And it was just a cool conversation because our church is an amazing place that we give. But sometimes, right, our church gives to ourselves. And sometimes our church doesn't recognize that there are other needs outside of these walls. And I'm excited this coming year that we're going to have this conversation more on this social justice piece in our church and this ministry. Verse 12, it says this. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now the word debts and debtors is... Um, it's a term of sin and transgression. Jesus understood that it is really hard to forgive someone of their sins and transgressions. It's, it's, sometimes the word sin is also a barrier for us actually forgiving them in general. And so this is the reason why God understood that he had to give the ultimate cost for a reason for you to understand better how to overcome sin. Because, right, what happens after, right, is that if you don't forgive someone, they're not going to forgive you. And it's not from me. What Jesus really wanted was that he wanted you to understand that, look, can you adapt forgiveness as a possibility to overcome sin? A possibility. Only once that little, little nugget to be in your heart, because is forgiveness possible to forgive sin? That's what he wants. Because, see, if that possibility comes in, then anything is possible. Anything is possible. So are you ready to forgive someone? While you're so angry or you're mad? This verse talks about forgiveness because it's real. Like I said earlier, some of you here, there's somebody you need to forgive or people you need to forgive. Now, we can pray it and say it, but if there's no meaning into it, there's nothing, Jesus is not going to do anything. The Lord's prayer is when you pray it in meaningful words. You know, being in ministry for the last couple years here, the one of the things that I see the most that's really important here is our parents. You see, you as parents here, you model to your children and your youth what forgiveness looks like to one another, to the people around you and your workforce. And children, and also youth, you model forgiveness not to your parents, but you model forgiveness to the entire world what it means. And that's a really huge responsibility. Because this, if you can't forgive, then this is what I see. If you can't forgive, I simply think that your faith and what you have faith in Jesus, it's not really real. Your whole basis of who Jesus is is based on forgiveness. And if you can't forgive, then I didn't even dare say that you don't have faith. Verse 13, and it ends with this, it says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
this verse has caught so much flack and so much fire that the Pope, the current Pope right now, wants to change the word, okay, temptation to a different word so that everybody can understand it better of what the meaning is. Now, I want you for one second to think about the Pope wants to change what Jesus said, specifically wrote. So I sat there and I said, look, man, you're the Pope. You're pretty cool. You know, we have a really humble Pope right now, right? But you can't change Jesus' words. You can't do that. But what we can do as a church, as believers in Christ here, we can try to find a better understanding of what this text is trying to mean and trying to say and wrestle with this. Because right? the gospel is made for you to wrestle with, right? The gospel is not made for you to be to accept it right away, and that's the way it is. Where it is, the gospel affects you because you wrestle with it. It's like, can you forgive? Can you accept that your sins are forgiven? It's a free gift, right? There's nothing you could do to earn it, right? So you wrestle with it. So this specific text, we could wrestle with it. So for you here, when we're going to wrestle with the text. Are you going not just to read this text and then read your student Bible as you have for years and go? Well, on the bottom it says that this is what it says and that's it. So I'm not going to do any further investigation. I'm not going to look at other sermons. I'm not going to look at other ministers or ministers or people that are discipling me, people that are loving me, people that are caring for me. Maybe I should ask my Sunday school teacher or somebody that I really, really find that I'm fond with to have discipleship with to go deeper. And this is what we're going to do right now. The term temptation is that it's not the meaning of temptation in the sense of enticing the sin, right? But it's a testing with a purpose of a greater purity and growth. But even in these ways, right, sin is going to come upon you and it's going to be negative. Now, Jesus is what? Jesus was all human and all God, right? So he faced both sides of temptation from the devil himself, right, in 40 days and 40 nights, right? He also faced, right, the temptation, right? with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, they couldn't even stay awake. Three times they, he came to and said, can you please be awake? Can you please stay with me and pray? And all they did was sleep, sleep, and more sleep, right? He understands human depravity, the flesh. He also understands the godly side of Satan coming upon them. The, the best translation that I, I, I've heard so far was this is that verse 10 cultivates over verse 13. Verse 10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. If you recognize that we're under his kingship and his will is going to be done, then we recognize that in verse 13, right, that whatever test is going to come our way, no matter how crazy, how big, how nuts it is, that we trust in God, we trust in his will, it's going to be fine. Look, God never sends an impossible test for you to not grow, to not endure, because the key thing is, is it's about your faith. It's your faith alone that's going to grow you. Verse 13, verse 10, and even it was paraphrasing in the way, it says, Father, do not lead me into testing, but may your will be done, and may I always obey. May I always obey. May I always obey. You know, as we, as we uh, close today, um, there's this, uh, 
It's a story later on in, in Matthew 21, um, verse um, 18 to um, 21. And it talks about, um, it talks about a fig tree. And uh, I'm going to ask some of our crew members uh, to pass it out. They're going to hand you right now this, um, this little tree slice with a rope on it. So, Prue, um, can you just go ahead and, and pass them out to, to people in the pew? And, and um, once you get this, do me a favor. Once you get this, these, these, uh, these uh, tree slices, I want you to hold it up for me. And I want you just to look at it and marvel at it. You can touch the twine and, you know, just don't break it or chew on it, okay? So... If you're privileged to that or your children. But do me a favor, once you, once you get one, can you do me a favor and just hold it up for me? I knew someone was going to spin around their hand. Have <laughs> it, Michelle. Once you have it, go and hold it up. Yeah, as you're holding it up, I'm going to read to you uh, Matthew 21, uh, verses 18 to um, 21. Early in the morning, Jesus, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. Verse 20. When his disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree weather so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you receive whatever you ask for in prayer. We're going to put it down now. This, this tree slice, I wanted to remind you whether you're bearing fruit for Jesus or not. Whether your prayer life in this room, when you pray, has meaning. See, Jesus cursed his tree for not bearing fruit because it was a metaphor of Israel. Israel, on the outside, was this God-fearing nation. But when Jesus came close to this fig tree and it, and it was just leaves, there was no fruit behind it. It was a front. It was a show. That was fake. Jesus was hungry. He was mad. And so Jesus, showing his amazing superpowers and who he is as God, the king, son of a king, he withered the tree. You see, fig trees often grow fruit when the leaves show. So here's this tree that has leaves from afar, and Jesus goes up to there was no fruit. He says, are many of us like this fig tree? Are many of us? On the outside, we, we, we have leaves for sure, and we look like a believer in Christ. We, we, we're here at church. We're on the board. We're in prayer team. We go to missions. Dare I say that on, on our Facebook, our accounts, we have this our views of Christianity, who we are. Why do I even have a tattoo? But are you bearing fruit? See, as a believer in him, 
we're, we're, we're definitely identifiable by our fruit. So here are you. Your faith in prayer is all about obedience and faith alone. And do you have an authentic relationship with him that you come to God that you know is true? So pray. May you put this somewhere to remind you what kind of fig tree are you going to be? Last night with my, with my in-laws, um, we somehow stumbled upon this conversation of a fig tree. And my father-in-law was like, all fig trees are cursed. I'm like, no, dad. <laughs> They're not all cursed. Here's why. Because, not because I went to seminary that I understand why. Because I opened the Bible, I read this passage, I read commentaries. I looked up the meaning. Why did he curse this fig tree? And I told him. And he sat in the kitchen, scratching his head. My, my father is a newly believer. Him and my mom just got baptized this, uh, about two years ago. They came to the Lord um, when, when, when Addie, before Addie was born. And it's amazing how us, my wife and I, helping them understand their faith, not because of we have some kind of merit, but pointing them back to the word. He says, I get it. And I was explaining to him over the, sink, uh, over the kitchen sink why God's, God was, you know, Jesus cursed this tree specifically. He says, I get it. That makes sense. This past year, it was his first time leading a Bible study in his home group. This past year was also his first time leading worship in his home group. And this is a guy that did not want to give up and get to know Jesus because he was scared what his mom would think about their heritage or religion. You see, where are you in prayer right now? And it matters to, see, it matters of who you're praying to. And as we end today, not only does it matter who you're praying to, but you. Where are you in this, this process for you to pray to God? Where are you in this process? Because it matters who you're praying to, but God is also very concerned, as Jesus was his disciples, of who they were in prayer to the Father. So may you put this somewhere to remind you what kind of future you're going to be. Are you going to bear fruit? Or are you not going to bear fruit? Maybe some of you are going to write something on here in the front and the back. Maybe you're going to put it on your keychain or your gym bag or a window or a mirror. Or this is going to be a bookmarker for you as you read your word. What kind of fruit are you going to be? And this is my challenge to our youth, to your basic, to our children's ministry, to our parents, to our singles, to our young adults, to our college students, to our beloved seniors. Where are you right now in your prayer life? Because it matters. It matters who you're praying to.